Good morning. Every time we meet at this place, it is our intention to feed you with the Word of God, nothing else. In other places, you can get good food for your body and entertainment and performances and sports and recreation at this location. We worship God. We remember Jesus Christ. We sing spiritual songs and pray and give. And during this time period, we serve a spiritual meal from God's Word. We hope you are hungry. Open, please, to the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, this is a turning point in the Roman epistle. It's a turning point. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and he goes into some detail about justification by faith in Christ. He clears up what some of his readers may have been confused about. And all through the first 11 chapters, it is instruction about God offering salvation by the activity of faith in Christ. Now, when you read that kind of material, you are informed, questions are answered, clarity is provided, convictions are confirmed, but then there comes a time when you need what might be called a therefore. What do I need to do about all this? I see the truth written by an apostle of Christ about God's plan. I understand it. I believe it. But now, what do I need to do about it? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me start here. The richness of this passage cannot be fully realized if you just read this passage by itself. The best approach is to take into account what is written before this. And that's why I introduced the passage the way I did. This is connected to everything the writer has offered from the first verse of Romans 1 up to this point. And as you read what is before this, it prepares you to understand this. So let me review just very briefly. God has revealed a plan so that people who have disobeyed Him can be forgiven. As that plan was activated through the ages, Christ came. It says back in Romans 5 in verse 8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for mankind. 
So when we place our trust in Christ, as stated in Romans 6, we are baptized into him, to arise to walk in newness of life, one way to say that is we are justified by faith in Christ. That's a summary of the first 11 chapters of Romans. Paul discusses all that. Now, as you read that and you take that in, this is important now, as you read this and you are informed, Paul isn't asking the readers to compliment him, to praise him, to acknowledge his wisdom, to applaud him as a good writer. No, that's not what Paul is driving at. Paul seeks no award, no honor, no applause. In fact, listen to the last few verses before Romans 12. I'm in Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Now, what does that do? All that comes before it, and that concluding statement that glorifies God, what does it do? It sets the stage for this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, based on that, I have three simple questions for us. Are we giving our bodies to God? I think some people conceive of religion as merely a mental function, something that occurs up here in this space. You believe certain things and you argue in favor of your position and you engage in reading and learning and you devote your mind to some set of religious propositions, but you retain ownership of your body. Self-will about your body. In our modern world, there are adherents of various religions who hold to certain beliefs, but what they believe doesn't show up in how they use their bodies on a daily basis. Their minds may have accepted the existence of God, but their bodies are intoxicated. Mentally, they may have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 
and understand the claims of Christ, but they defy what Christ has said in the way they use their lives, their bodies, from day to day. There were ancient philosophers who advocated that mind and body are virtually unconnected. And thus it was argued that your mind can be right with God. You can have it all the way it should be up here while your body is serving the flesh. Complicated theories were advanced to justify a selfish, appetite-driven use of the body. The Bible says God created mind and body connected. And in the call of the gospel, God isn't saying, give me a little space in your head. God is saying, bring me your life inside and out, your mind and your body. Are we giving God our bodies? God says, in your response to Christ, He will forgive you and clean your mind so you can give Him your life, mind and body. The impulses of the flesh, the desires of the body can be conquered in Christ. The call of the gospel is God saying, bring me through Christ your whole life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, I'm carrying in my body the death of Christ, so that the life of Christ also may be manifested in my body. Are we giving God our bodies in every way we should and can? Are we resisting conformity to the world? If I've been baptized into Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, giving your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, I tell you, that's not the way of the world. When you were baptized, you were not conforming to the world. The world doesn't say, be baptized. When you became active in a local church of Christ, you were not conforming to the world. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're not conforming to the world. Becoming a Christian and living your life every day as a Christian is not conforming to the world. But the pressure is there every day, isn't it? Let me explain. Friends who in very subtle ways may want you to do things they do which you cannot do because of your devotion to God. That pressure may be in the office, in the factory, on the campus, in every workplace, in the neighborhood. Friends who in very subtle ways may want you to do things they do which you cannot do because of your devotion to God. It goes beyond that. The devil has devices today he didn't have 25 years ago. 
The devil uses all sorts of media in an effort to bring us into compromises just a little at a time, small steps away from the Lord. Under this pressure, you can begin to be seduced by what you might call innocent departures. One innocent departure in your perception, another innocent departure, and another, and then you get over here and look around and you can't even see the Lord. The world wants us, but doesn't promise us any benefit. God wants us, but he promises us remarkable benefits that will last forever. All that the world might offer me will only last about that long compared to eternity. So we need to get up every day and remember the danger of conforming to the world. Everything in Romans 1 through 11 becomes the foundation of that. Everything in Romans 12, 1 and 2 punctuates that and calls attention to it and challenges me to think about it. When I conform to the world, I lose my identity as one justified by faith in Christ. When I conform to the world, I become a slave to what is temporary. When I conform to the world, it ruins my character. It removes me from God's blessings. It takes me to a place where I cannot say that my life is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. All around us, there is celebration of lust. There is encouragement to violence. There is immodesty. There is adultery. Denials of God's creative work. There is rude, raw language. We have to live in this world, but we cannot let the world live in us. The pursuit of happiness as the world defines it will take us to eternal ruin. The pursuit of mature joy as God defines it will take us to eternal joy. So John said in one place, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Are we resisting conformity to the world? And I must say, social media can be used for good or evil, but I'm thinking the weight of it today is not in a good direction. Christians ought to be more interested in good works than good looks. Christians ought to know how to state their beliefs 
without insults and caricatures and questionable humor. Christians ought to be examples to the world of getting the facts right. The devil can use technology as one of his weapons to defeat us, so keep your guard up against the culture that can come into your head through a screen. Are we discerning what is the will of God? There is a very simple question that ought to be with us all the time about everything we undertake. Is this what God wants me to do? You have some idea, some plan, some issue. You're getting ready to argue some point. You're getting ready to make a change. Is this what God wants me to do? Always a good question. Now, be careful how you go about answering that. Subjective emotion is not reliable. You cannot let desire lead you into the imagination that since you like it and you want to do it, it must be okay with God. Why, here it comes. Yes, he's telling me it's okay. No. Remember from a couple of weeks ago when I spoke from the Bible about the Holy Spirit? And I said I wanted you to remember one thing. What has the Holy Spirit given for us to use? If you were unable to navigate everything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, there's one thing you must navigate and be firm about. What has the Holy Spirit given? What does the Holy Spirit use? What does He provide for us to cut through the challenges and battles of life? Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I cannot discern the will of God without this. For those listening on the recording, I'm holding up a Bible. I cannot discern the will of God without the Word of God. When we are considering something, a change, an idea, a decision, something we're going to confront, or something we're going to be silent about, whatever it might be, clarifying moments can come when you get your head right in here. And then when you get this right in your head before you do it, whatever it is. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember now the basis of Paul's appeal to us. 
the mercies of God. That becomes my close. Without God's mercy expressed through His plan of salvation, we could not give our bodies to God. We could not succeed in resisting the world. We could not discern the will of God with any thorough practical expression. So thank God for His mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. And then respond to His mercy and grace by obeying the gospel as we stand together and as we sing.